0: Welcome to Humans of Authenticity and thank you for choosing my podcast. My name is Lily, and I'll be your host. Humans of Authenticity will share many heartfelt conversations with my guests on their stories and how they embrace their authenticity in all forms. Authenticity will be a buzzword unless we pause and reflect on what it means for us, for individuals like you and me. Join me in these conversations. In each episode, my guest will choose a keyword from a selection of 12, which will be used as the theme of the conversation. These keywords change frequently, so you will only hear the same keyword once. Enjoy the episode today. Hi, love Thank you so much for joining me on the episode today of Humans of Authenticity. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners first?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me here. My name is Nabil El Goury, and I'm a psychologist and speaker living in the D.C. area.
0: Wait and short. Thank you. Let's start with your story. Could you share three things that you love about yourself?
1: Three things that I love about myself. I love my sense of humor. I enjoy laughing and telling stories, and laughing with people. I let's see what else. I am loyal. I really like to help my friends and family and colleagues. Once I'm tight with you, you've got an ally for life. And then third, I really try to live with courage. I think courage is an underrated value. And so I try to take steps uh, that are brave, that are courageous every day.
0: I love how you it with live with courage. Can you unpack that a little bit for me? So what I'm hearing is usually with courage, it is an underrated values, which I completely understand. But from another perspective, we glorify success and being right so much that it mm. adds a lot of pressure on individuals to go out of the norms and yeah. be courageous. What's the best way for us to balance the two polis? You know, for courage,
1: I think it's about really living authentically. And in particular, I'm reflecting on my coming out story. So I'm gay and I am 52 years old. So I'm from a different generation. And I'll describe what it was like a little bit, which was I came of age in the era of AIDS before AZT and the retroviral treatments. Back then, HIV was a death sentence. There was a lot of fear. It was actually much more anti-gay than it is now. No role models on TV. Very few musicians, very few TV stars were out in my psychology department. I think there had been two out gay people. One graduated, one one professor left. And so there were really no role models for me. And it took a lot of courage for me to, st- to come out of the closet, to open the door, to tell people that I was gay, or just to live my life authentically as gay. And I realized how much of a weight it took off of me when I lived authentically. And so I remind myself of that to live with courage. In my day-to-day life as a psychologist, A lot of my job is to help people step out of their comfort zone. So in some ways, I'm trying to give people courage to do the thing they don't want to do.
0: I still want to go a little bit deeper. Reflect back on your example. I can sense that there weren't a lot role models. My assumption was you were one of the first who have done this stepping out of Your comfort zone, I'm hearing a lot of action without fear. So Mm -hmm. being in your action, how could you do that? So
1: How did I act with courage? It took a decent amount of time. I went to therapy for a year or two and worked on coming out and and then I systematically told friends and some distant family first before I told my parents. But the big thing to me was really each step of the journey. At the beginning, I I remember telling the first three, four people was painful. Like it hurt. And every time I did it, it got easier and easier. And then the next big step was telling my parents. That took a lot. And I relied on my friends. At that time, my parents lived in San Diego, I was in upstate New York. A friend of mine, flew out from, let's see, he would have been in Missouri at the time. His parents were also in San Diego. He flew out to support me during that weekend that I came out to my parents. So I really relied on my network, my peers to help me through that. And now I try to do that for them.
0: That's such a powerful story. I love two things about it. With every new thing that we try, the first time is the hardest. Oh, yeah. If we practice, it will get better. It won't get easier, better, the way that we practice it. The second thing I like about your story is that you have such a a great and amazing support network. And reflect back on the theme of this um, season, sometimes that's all we need. The support network, the trust that we have in our friends mm-hmm. and loved ones around us, and that's how we can thrive and how we can hone on to our core values.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You mentioned a lot about living authentically, and we know that there are a lot of literature and research suggesting the benefits of expressing ourselves authentically. At the same time, we also see reality and statistics suggest that it's not always the case. It's easier said than done. What factors do you think prevents us from showing our true self and express our authenticity?
1: What factors prevent? I, you know, I think fear. The reality is we are really good at imagining the worst case scenario so our brain just goes there fear is the big thing and people just imagining everything that could go wrong and then because of that like infinitesimal, infinitesimally small possibility not acting when in reality you know 99% of the time it'll be fine 99.9 99.999% of the time at at this point in my life i am a lot more willing to take risks. So I have really been living that, you know, just taking risks because I'm willing to try. I'm...
0: I I love how when I talk about authenticity and fear and we start talking about taking risk. do you have a framework in mind when you are taking your risk in a lot of the literature, sometimes it's say like taking calculated risk, which means there are steps that we consider before implementing that risk, accepting uh, consequences, whether we know them or not. Do you have some sort of framework or steps that you use to think through before you are taking that risk? Or is there an example that you can share with us?
1: I absolutely think in steps, okay? I'll give you an example. This business right here, Executive Therapy Consulting, this did not happen overnight. It took months to sort of germinate with the idea. First, I thought about the idea a lot. Then I talked it over with my partner and we discussed it. And if he had said, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think I would have pursued it, but he was hundred percent in support of actually a thousand percent in support. And then I told my tight circle of friends. I told a few folks, everyone really endorsed it. So I continued kind of refining the idea. I had one friend who was very skeptical. She was my, my deputy at my f- former job. She and I were great polar, polar opposites for everything that I am sunny, you know, and happy and optimistic. She was like, do you not see the problems here? So I waited to tell her until I thought through all the issues. Then I I told her the idea. And when she said, I love it, I think it's perfect for you. That was when I knew, oh, this is a really amazing idea. So I absolutely did systematically. I started inner circle, like the inner trust. And then I had some people who were, I like the idea of going to people who are different from you. You don't want to surround yourself with people who just agree with you. Diversity of perspectives, diversity of experience, diversity of backgrounds, that can enrich your life. And that really helped me in the decision making to start my business was hearing from different people, hearing from people who were skeptical and realizing, wow, they really enjoyed that idea.
0: That's a really nice framework and a nice way to think about it. You really show how a great support network helps us to thrive at every step of our day. Let's move to the second part of the episode, talking about your chosen keyword. So I gave you a list of 12 to choose from. Which word do you select?
1: I chose whimsical.
0: Nice. In the context of authenticity, how do you interpret
1: I think of whimsical or whims as being playful, and that is absolutely how I live my life. I have fun every day. I really try to think about having fun every day. Once I was on a jury in Cleveland, Ohio, okay? The trial place was in a beautiful building where you could see Lake Erie all the way to Canada. We couldn't see Canada, but we could see Lake Erie. And it was a small group, obviously 12 jurors. And the the judge after the trial said, I've never heard a jury laugh so much. And I thought, you know, yeah, because you haven't had a jury with me serving as a four-person. <laughs> you know, we were enjoying ourselves on that jury. None of us wanted to be there. But my, my attitude is, we got to be here. Let's have fun while we're doing it. So we were laughing, we were joking. I had a very pleasant experience serving on that jury, and the the judge heard us laughing. So I th- I always find that really funny.
0: That's such an interesting interesting perspective, and this resonate a lot. And go back to one of your first keywords about being very positive. I love that. Let's do a quick reality check for a moment
1: mm-hmm.
0: in a professional environment at work there will be days when there's no fun in it. How do you find your whimsical lens in those gray days?
1: That is hard. That is absolutely hard. My job right now as a psychologist, I am a therapist. I hear a lot of pain in my work. And so, you know, part of my responsibility is to listen, reflect, and honor what I'm hearing. So in those sessions, I, at those moments, I am not engaging in whimsy. So part of it is you have to know when to be playful and to be whimsical. The other part, though, is the transition to home life for me. That playfulness, that whimsy is absolutely critical. That's how I decompress from a difficult day is by laughing is by, you know, watching funny movies. I watch a lot of Disney movies because I just enjoy the cartoons and the playfulness, the double entendres, the jokes that are meant for the adults. So if you're around me often enough, you'll hear me quote The Incredibles, Finding Nemo, and a Shrek and Shrek, a, a decent amount. Those are my go-tos.
0: Nice. Go back to your chosen word whimsical, as soon as I hear the words whimsical, the Mad Hatter's tea parties immediately come to mind, you know, in Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. It is definitely one of my favorite classic of all time. And thinking about that, tea parties setting on Disney is colorful. It seems chaotic, but it has some unconventional order to it because as soon as Alice does something not seem normal to these tea parties participants they all act up and ask her to stop to so go back to your stories I love to hear two things the first how would you describe your whimsical expression and we talk a bit about that but I love to hear some sort of examples and the second questions what's the most whimsical thing you have done and If you can give me that example in a work scenario, that would be even better.
1: I have one for the second one. I'm gonna explain to you the most whimsical I've ever been. This is 30 years ago, okay? I am doing applied behavior analysis therapy with a child with autism, ABA therapy. So this is 30 years ago, the movie Aladdin had just come out. And in ABA therapy, You give a child with autism rewards, reinforcers for getting an answer right. It's a lot of questions and to try to teach the child concepts, language, social skills, whatever. If they get it right, they get anywhere from an M&M to a high five, to a hug, to whatever. I was working with a young, young girl. She loved the movie Aladdin. And... She wanted me to sing a whole new world, you know, the song, a whole new world. And I did it, you know, she got the item, right. And I went into my falsetto. I don't want to sing it. I'm not Justin Timberlake, actually he wasn't even in sync yet. (laughs) I don't have that high voice. I'm not Michael Jackson, but if you find this reinforcing, I will do it for you. Nice. Uh, So that was my best example of being whimsical. It's like completely humiliating myself to make a young child happy. And then you'll have to remind me what the first question was.
0: The first one was, how would you describe your whimsical expression? I think
1: my whimsical expression really is in my laugh and and my sense of humor. And I get my laugh. I just had a conversation yesterday with my dad. We go on FaceTime, we used to do Skype before, but now we do FaceTime since I got him an iPad. And if you just like watch us, we're basically are laughing half the time. And it was interesting. He was talking about his sister's funeral. My aunt, his sister had died two weeks ago. I'm sorry. Thank you. So we were talking about the funeral and it, was like my dad was laughing as he's telling the story and he's kind of in the midst of all this telling me I do not want this for my funeral he didn't quite say that but <laughs> he did everything but say that and I realized how much my my whimsy comes from him that he is very playful he's always got his tongue a, a, a tongue-in-cheek look and so I realized very much the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But, well, my dad's Egyptian, so it's the date doesn't fall far from the palm tree.
0: <laughs> I love that expression and analogy and a lot of culture references to it as well. I love when my guests talking about their relationship with their parents, if we're looking at superhero movies and the development of the superhero themselves, we see mm-hmm. a lot of influence from their childhood on the superhuman's powers and how they use those powers to influence the environments and the people around them. A lot of that being influenced from the childhood experience. Can you share with me a little bit more about your childhood experience, perhaps another story from your dad, and at what point you realize that there are positive perspectives from that being whimsical when you were at the receiving end? your dad
1: I'm I'm thinking about it I'm, I'm thinking about it I'll tell you part of the whimsy is that that is something that I was able to express when I came out so I actually did not express a lot of that when I was in the closet before I told people that I was gay I did I I really tried to be invisible which is so different from who I am um, now. It truly is like, I don't have a good example of that because I wasn't whimsical as a kid. I was always trying to stay in the black rap. Actually, I'm flipping that story mm-hmm. a little bit. I guess part of my whimsy also is that I didn't get to express it for years. I had all these thoughts in my head and and I was too reserved. I was, I was going to say shy, but, but shy is not the right word. Too reserved. Too mm-hmm. guarded. Really, the word guarded. I was too guarded to share those thoughts because particularly, I I won't lie, I do have a, an R-rated whimsy sometimes. And so those kind of jokes in college and graduate school would have led to questions about dating and who I was interested in and so I explicitly did not say those things even though I was thinking them so when I came out I was able to start expressing that and people did see me as much more authentic much more real and a lot more fun to be around
0: you just gave me another example another reason on why we should be a lot more authentic Let's go back to that point in time between the transition. Was there a trigger or the a catalyst that made you realize that you need to make this change so that you can be happier?
1: Oh, absolutely. I had a friend from high school. Actually, when I entered ninth grade, I switched schools. And the first girl who spoke to me, in high school. We ended up going to college together and became much closer friends in college. She got cancer when I was 20. Oh no. When I was 23 and I got a message. And so this is 1994. So you have to imagine there's no email. Yeah. And I got a phone, a voice, a, a message in my department in my psychology department at my university that a mutual friend of ours had called and left her number. And this is not a person I was in touch with regularly. So what's going on? I call her and she says, our friend Liz has cancer. She's dying. So I flew to see her. I had a choice. I could have gone to see her or go to her funeral. I chose to see her. And when I'd already started therapy at that point. So I was working with a psychologist. And I I had struggled with how to come out to my therapist. So I, I had to fill out a survey and, and one of the questions was, are you gay? And I like I zipped through the survey. Like it took me 10 minutes to do a hundred questions. And then I spent 10 minutes on this one question. And I decided, okay, I'm going to mark it and I'm not going to talk about it. So he's going to know about it and we're not talking about it yet, which actually was that first step of courage. Mm, yes. That, And when I came back from that visit a week later, my friend died and my next session with my psychologist, I said, we got to talk about me coming out. I am not dying and being closeted. And so we started working on that and within a year, I was out to, oh, probably four or five friends at that point, within a year of her death. Mm-hmm. So I did have a very personal, seminal reason for taking the steps to come out of the closet.
0: Thank you for sharing that story, and I'm sorry about your friends. Yeah, Going back to that, being whimsical and whimsy, A lot of the time when we think about whimsy, it can be very unconventional, very unique, very colorful, can be a bit chaotic. How do you, in a professional context, introduce these whimsical concepts to the conventional audiences? For example, let's say you have this very whimsical idea for a project How do you introduce that to your team and bring them along with you to deliver the project in this whimsical sense?
1: I have lots of ideas. Part of being whimsical is just sort of sprouting different ideas, and some of them are great and some of them are terrible. If there's something I'm really interested in, I nurture the idea with my colleagues who are more creative, whimsical. I nurture the idea first to give it some space to grow and develop the idea a little further. So rather than just take a seed, I want it, I don't need it to be this kind of, let's see, this kind of of tree. I don't need it to be this big, but a little bit more than a seed. I need need it to water it and let it germinate a bit. So I will work with an idea, for a, a little bit more, and then I take it to the colleagues who are more skeptical, and put some reality checks on it, and that I find works reasonably well. It's hard to 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 and grow when I go to the skeptics too fast, and that's basically you know the brainstorming strategy: first generate the ideas, and then start to analyze them and start discussing what, where the pros and cons are with each one.
0: So think about that process of going through the pros and cons. Was there a time when you had to negotiate with yourself to dial down that whimsical element a little bit so that it fit better in the professional context?
1: That honestly is a constant (laughs) issue for me. When I got my first CEO job, I remember thinking I wanted them to know that I was funny. That actually was a goal of my interview with the board. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I really didn't know how I was going to do it. And I was able to do it in the first minute based on where the interview was. We were interviewing in at, a hot- at an airport hotel outside of LAX in Los Angeles And the room had some, I don't remember the name of the room, but it had some kind of spiritual therapy-ish kind of name. Then I saw a sign for another mental health group meeting in the same hotel. And someone was late to the interview. There was an empty chair. And in psychotherapy, there is the empty chair technique where you imagine, like, if you're having issues with your father, imagine your father's in that chair and have a conversation with him. And so I kind and I referenced all three of, oh, I think we're like in the reflection room. We were in the reflection. So I mentioned all three of these in my intro and it conveyed two things. One, that I was a colleague, that I knew mental health concepts and mental health organizations locally and constructs that they work with. But then two, it also demonstrated that that sense of humor, that joy, that playfulness. And so I was very happy that I got it out of the way immediately. Like, okay, we we got a laugh. We got a little chuckle from folks. So that was, but, you know, but I struggle with it because people think of me as sometimes very young or immature, maybe the word, but people don't take me as seriously because of my playfulness. And The truth, you know, the truth is I know how to be an executive. I know how to make the hard decisions. I know how to make the supportive decisions. You know, my philosophy is always be tough, but fair. If you're one of my supervisees, you will get feedback, positive and constructive. And sometimes I have to do things. I have to end relationships because that's what the work requires. And I'm capable of doing that. But people underestimate me. That was the question I got at that meeting was, can you fire people? Because people think I'm so playful and look so nice that I can't fire people. And oh, no, I can. Absolutely. If the job requires it. But I'm going to do it in a fair process. Mm. I'm going to do it respectfully. I'm going to do it in a fair process. But I actually did at that company. I ended up out of the 22 people who started with me 8 of them were replaced at some point in the first 2 years well but that happens when i was succeeding someone who had been there for 27 years so or 23 years that is not unusual there needs to be some turnover actually there was one i'll t- i'll tell you one that i was really happy about it doesn't start happy though i had a paralegal who was working in a team of attorneys. And because he was a paralegal, his role kept on getting narrower, narrower and narrower. He could not do all the things that the attorneys could do because he wasn't licensed. He had a JD, but he just never passed the bar. I ended up talking to his boss and saying, We need this position to be an attorney. Yeah. And that means we have to let him go. And you know, we discussed it. She didn't want to do that, but then my rationale was sound. So we told him, you could either leave now, and we will, you know, give you a severance, or you're taking the bar exam. If you pass, you keep your job. If you don't, you lose your job. And he chose to stay and take the bar exam. And he took the bar exam. We supported him. We paid for the bar exam. We paid for the prep course. Um, We gave him time to do that. And then he took the exam, and a couple months later, he left. He he quit, went to another position. Frankly, I was not upset about that. If I were in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. Mm. Turns out, he passes the bar exam. Right. And I probably went from a person he was mad at to the person he's most grateful for because I support, like, I got him to accomplish the goal he hadn't been able to accomplish uh, and he ended up returning as a licensed attorney. So oh, that I was proud that boomerang, I was incredibly proud of that. I, I had been tough, but fair. I needed that job to be a licensed attorney. He, at the time he left was not at that level. He found another position. And then when he became a licensed attorney, he came back because the environment we provided was the one he wanted to work in. I'm very proud that he came back.
0: What a happy ending to the story.
1: I I did not know that was going to happen.
0: I really think sometimes we perform an act. We do things. In this scenario, your actions was carried out because you had a good intentions and you followed the correct process. Just out of curiosity, talking about giving feedback to your team. Can you Mm -hmm. share the most whimsical feedback you have shared with someone?
1: Uh, Let's see. I had managed to get a meaningful raise for an employee. This is when I was at the American Psychological Association. And she was my first hire as a supervisor. I decided to play a little joke on her. So I was very stern and I called her to to my office and I said, sit, I have some news. I just got you a 15% raise.
0: What? And
1: so she was terrified and then she heard, what? And, and so this is, so she tried, she complained to her friends about how, how awful her boss was and all her friends said, nope, that's a pretty cool boss. And to this day, I'm still mentoring her. We both left that company and this is now, uh, let's see, 13 years later, we're still connected and I'm helping her on her journey through associations to a new place.
0: That sounds amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. So we have talked a lot about different transitions you've experienced in the past, For the next part of the episode, I want both of us to shift here. Looking forward to the future. This particular episode will be released shortly after New Year in January where we start thinking about New Year resolutions and all the like. Can you share with me what's next for you in the coming 12 months? So in a nutshell, do you have a New Year resolutions?
1: Well, okay. So as a psychologist, I'm not a giant fan of New Year's resolutions because generally they wear out by January 14th to January 21st, right? You know, January 2nd and 3rd, you see lots of people at the gym. And three weeks later, that number's down tremendously. But I'll happily share my goals for 2024. For 2024, I am hoping to land more speaking engagements. I really love talking about mental health, stress, burnout, creating a culture of wellness, so, uh, teaching teams, teaching managers, important skills. So I'm really hoping to get more speaking gigs while maintaining my therapy and coaching business. The other thing I'm hoping to do is to get some international travel I know I'm going to go to one conference in July in Buenos Aires. So I'm very excited for that. I've never been to Argentina, so that will be a fun trip.
0: Nice. There are a lot of culture in Argentina. My husband been there for work a couple of times and he kept raving about how good their steaks are. Yep. If you're into that, you'll be in for a treat.
1: Oh, steaks and caramel dulce de leche. They are very, they like their, their caramels, And so I'm looking forward to having some alfajores, which are shortbread cookies with a dulce de leche with caramel in between. Give me an alfajor over an Oreo any day.
0: Nice. I love how you define your intention very clearly. Like two items, I'm sure you'll be able to to smack it how would you fit whimsy into your plan to achieve these two items
1: well i think part of this new business that i've been doing is i really have been living this life of having play and work 2023 i have traveled the most this year while working and it's been a blast that's number one and then number two I never know when I'm going to get it in a therapy session, but in a, a lot of therapy sessions, there is some laughter or joy or the, even when we're talking about pain or, or something like that, there are moments that are clinically appropriate, I should say. I don't go and I don't seek them out, but when the opportunity arises, it is helpful. I think it's almost therapeutic sometimes. It's okay to laugh. Genuine. And I think people respond to my genuineness. So I incorporate it a little bit daily as I do my work. And then on the big scheme, I love travel. So I find time to do that and incorporate it with work through speaking, through conferences. So I've been able to negotiate that.
0: That's great. We're getting to the end of the episode. Are there anything else you'd like our listeners to know more between? whimsical and authentic?
1: I think it's okay to laugh and have fun and live life. And I think it's okay for periods to not do it. I think part of whimsy, of being whimsical, is knowing when to turn it off. You know, so obviously when I'm at a funeral, I don't laugh. But interestingly, you know, the story I was saying about my my friend, once I saw her, I ended up sitting Within with her family, her south her mom was from South Africa. And so all these women had charming accents. And we sat in her living room for two days telling stories about their childhood, about my dad, about my mom, and we just shared stories and were laughing in the midst of our friend, our their niece dying. So I think you can find joy whimsy in moments of pain it's not there there it's not impossible so there it there could be whimsy during grief there is a pathway but you don't have to force it mm. it has to come naturally
0: yeah i have two more questions for this episode what's the next keyword you'd like to hear from this podcast series
1: well if you haven't done courage I would encourage you to do courage and then I'm going to say loyalty. I think that's another one that people don't think. That's
0: a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. Great. Last question, and I hope you have fun with this one. If you were to win a world-class prestigious award, so think about the scope of something like the Oscar for movies or the Nobel Prize, what award would you like to receive? and for what reason?
1: Oh, okay. In my super duper dream world, which I am not quite on that path anymore, but like, I'm just going to give you what, what the dream would have been. It would have been like, there's no Nobel prize in psychology, but I'm going to say in medicine for developing a An amazing intervention for people with autism spectrum disorder. So I have a brother with autism and he is really my inspiration for going into psychology. That's why I started working with kids with autism 30 years ago. That would be the Oscar. And then the Golden Globe would be an award from the American Psychological Association on outstanding contribution to clinical service, which that actually is theoretically possible. I don't do this work for that kind of recognition, but if that happened, that would be amazing. I'm not really hunting for it at this point in my, I, I, I don't need those kind of accolades. I am very content with my career. And so to me, the proof is in the pudding. My career is going well. And so I'm very pleased with that.
0: I really love the energy that you're sharing here. Um, This is the end of the episode. Thank you again for sharing your stories and for your time. That's it for today's episode. Drop your thoughts in the comment section. I'd love to hear your take on the chosen keyword. Have a lovely time. And thank you again for spending time with humans of authenticity. Until next time.